So as most of you know, I went to Nepal about two months ago for five weeks. The trip was basically broken down into two parts. The time that I spent in the village, the Bardi village, and at the, one of the schools there. The Bardi village was by far the most significant part of my trip. Leading up to the village, God was showing his presence in small but obvious ways. When I first arrived in Kathmandu, I had no communication with the organiser. I arrived to an empty house with instructions not to leave the compound or unpack my stuff because the person who dropped me off didn't know what room I'd be staying in. So I flew all the way to Kathmandu and I sat in a living room by myself for six hours. When um, the next morning I woke up and there was other people in the house, that was pretty exciting, and they were from Australia. And not only were they from Australia, they were from Bendigo and they knew Luke's sister-in-law. So how crazy is that? During the time with the Bendigo team, I spent some time with the girls who have been rescued. One girl would have nothing to do with me and when I was trying to talk to her over lunch, she just wouldn't have a bar of me. On the bus, she sat next to me and I started to pray that she'd feel love. Not any particular love, just feel love. And she fell asleep on my shoulder. And after she fell asleep on my shoulder, she spent the rest of the afternoon holding my hand and started calling me mama. Then another time that you may have heard, there was a girl who was um, rescued as well and I sat next to her on the bus and I started humming and again praying that she would feel love. Um, I was contemplating whether I hold a hand, do I not hold a hand? I grabbed a hand and she turned to me after I'd been humming for a little while and said, "Um, you sound like my mum, I feel her love through you right now. And that was really, really spun me out. Raju, the owner of Lighthouse and the ideas man behind the rescues, told me I'd be going to the village where the girls were trafficked from with Hannah, who was the first girl who was rescued six years ago. I learnt there were two types of rescue, the preventative rescue where he rescues the girls from the Bardi village before they can be trafficked across into India and then he'll also rescue girls once they've been in the brothels. Um, The girls who have been rescued from the brothels are obviously broken beyond belief and just to hear their testimony and their story is so surreal. You can hear about it on TV and watch it on a documentary, but to actually see them in front of you, it just it breaks your heart and everything you know is real. God was at work surrounding me going to the village even before I got there. Raju told me Graham, the Transform the Nations coordinator and my organiser to Nepal, didn't want me to go to the village. Raju, however, felt on his heart that I should go. Can you see God working right here? Because for years I've been searching for an avenue to use my spiritual gifts and my gift of wonderful nursing. And here it is. God's actually starting to see, or I'm actually starting to see God's plan in the intricate steps that it is. So I go across to the Bardi village where my life changed. I was able to diagnose and treat many conditions. I started by buying medications, just simple ones. And then as the need came, I realised I wouldn't be able to afford all the medications. I started to wonder if I was being used, if I was being exploited. Did they actually want me there? Did they just want my white money? Um, I spoke to Hannah and Hannah spoke to Raju and the next day we were able to buy over $300 worth of medications, rice, um, multivitamins and um, water purification. So here we go. God's saying hello again. I stayed in the hostel in Serket with a girl called Matura. I learnt how to eat the Nepalese way. I ate rice with my fingers and curry with my fingers. My nail polish went missing and turned yellow. (laughs) Um, When I went to the the Bardi village, it was about 20 minutes away from the hostel that I was staying at. 
the houses have no electricity, animals roam around the homes and just excrete their waste amongst the mud, and the recent storms that were there meant that the roofs and houses had been demolished. The land is not sustainable for crops, so the people have no way to be self-sufficient or to live off the land. The sand and the rocks over the river are transported and sold as some type of income, but it's not enough to meet the over 800 people that were there. One particular family was poorer than the rest of the family, and due to the recent storms, it was their house that was demolished. Um, the rooms were filled with piles of rock. The children were so poor, their clothes were so dirty and covered with holes, and they had no food. The children were seen scavenging through the mud, remembering that the mud had all animal excrement through it as well, looking for food and also going through vomit looking for food. There was a mother there who ran away because she couldn't cope with the poverty and left her three children with a drunk husband. Other family members cannot cope with it and so that's why they sell the, the girls in their family to India. They drug them and they traffic them across to India. Hannah, her uncle, sold both of her sisters across to the brothels in India. Some of the girls see the poverty and despair of their family and willingly go into prostitution to help their family. The girls are raped at ages as young as three, and then the rape then becomes part of their life. They are raped by medical personnel in hospitals on their way to school. Fathers rape their daughters. The boys rape the girls, and there's just no safety for them. When the girls sleep, boys will put their hands through the window and touch them as they sleep. Hannah, who's in her 20s, is scared to go home because she knows what will happen when she's there. Truckloads of men come through the village in the middle of the night in gangs and go through and rape the girls. The undertone of attitude of the Nepal people is that the Bardi girls are living, breathing sex objects for any man that wants them. Alongside the extreme and destitute poverty, rape, starvation, the people also have deficits in healthcare, and this is where I came in. Usually to obtain healthcare, they have to travel 45 minutes, and that obviously requires money. There is no Medicare, no health insurance. No money means no healthcare. I was the first person in their entire history to ever go into their village and give them healthcare. One local teacher had a severe dermatitis to her face and it didn't help the fact that she had hep B from being raped. She looked like she was in so much pain and so grossly disfigured. For over three years, she'd been trialling a myriad of different medications, spending so much money trying to do so. I purchased a simple cream from the local pharmacy and gave her some advice on hygiene and within three days, her skin had cleared up remarkably. Further healthcare issues obviously surround the rape. Unwanted pregnancies, preteen pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases, infection, pain and bleeding are all something these girls deal with. It is even to mention the psycholo psychological damage that constant rape brings. A little girl who was three was brought to me with fear. She would just randomly cry and she would just become just un unsurprisingly frightened when she was left alone in a room. The symptoms were very, very similar to post-traumatic stress. She's three. Before the introduction of Christianity, the Nepal religion of Hinduism was their main religion. Now, thanks to Hannah, majority of the village is now Christian and things have changed. Hinduism is very similar to Buddhism in the fact that they, they believe that the Bardi girls deserve what they've got because they were bad in a previous life and they've been reincarnated into the body of a Bardi girl, so therefore they deserve the rape and they deserve everything that comes to them. And if they take it on the chin, they will reincarnate as something better in their next life. So you can imagine how wonderful it is to see the Christian hope that the story of Christ brings.
during the time I was in the village, I started to envision starting a clinic, teaching a local how to do basic health checks. And I had a little book where I wrote down everyone's medical conditions. And I thought I can start guidelines and things. I was talking to Hannah about how exciting this would be. And she was really, really excited and on board with me. I said, don't get too excited because we'll talk to Raju and we'll see where he wants to go with that. When I returned back to Kathmandu, I struggled. I didn't feel like I was being utilised to the best of my ability. I wanted to go back to the village or I wanted to go home. I frequently reminded myself, I'm here for God. I'm here for God. I met Talia, who's from Brisbane, and she's marrying a guy called Samir, who's a Nepali guy. And these guys are helping me with my current adventure. Talia and I got along like we've known each other forever, the greatest of friends. I was also able to spend some more time with Hannah, who told me that I'm the only non-Bardi person who will talk to her. Because she's a Bardi, she deserves no friends. The real friendship Hannah and I had was noticed by many people. And just when I was starting to question once again if this is where God wants me or if it's my desire that I'm seeking to do something, Hannah showed me the journey of the trafficked girls take from Nepal, from Nepal into India. And once again, I'm like, yep, all right, God, I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you. One day in Kathmandu, Hannah and I had lunch with Raju. Raju had been praying for four years that he wanted a medical personnel to go into the village. And lo and behold, here I am. And luckily for me, that... Raju said, I'm the person he's been praying for. He told Hannah and I that he had been praying for someone who can start a clinic, who can teach people. Exactly the same thing Hannah and I had been talking about. It was so amazing. After we left lunch, I said to Hannah, did you tell Raju about what we were talking about in Soket? And she goes, no, I thought you had. It was exactly the same. It was obviously the work of God. It was so amazing. But then when I went to Kathmandu, I did some generalised health checks with many of the kids in the school and unfortunately I had to be the one to break the news because many of the girls came up to me and said, when I get my period, Sandy, I get really, really bad pain. So I had to be the one to say, Soz, that's normal, welcome to being a girl. We, um, we sat in little circles on the floor, they asked the teachers to leave and we sat in little circles on the floor me, a whitey, with four or five little Nepali girls, and we just talked about girl skincare, menstruation, all those sorts of things. It was really beautiful. The little notebook that I had from the village went missing. I prayed for it to return. I had no idea where I, where I had left it because I, every person that I saw, I wrote down their health complaint because I wanted to start health checks on them and I wanted to do guidelines. And the book went missing, and I thought, I cannot believe this book has gone missing. But I thought, I'm here for God. If he wants the book to return, the book will return. Two weeks after, Hannah came back and said, I was in Soket and I found your book, but I left it in the hostel. I went, oh, all right, well, at least, you know, it's not floating around in the rubbish somewhere. That night, the book was on the coffee table. Another remarkable thing that happened was Talia had boils and I watched her boils get worse and worse for the couple of weeks that I was in Kathmandu to the point where I thought, you know what, we need to get you antibiotics. So I said, I've got some antibiotics. When I was in the village, I went... I had some antibiotics for urinary tract infections, which is a very specific type of antibiotic. And I looked at the guidelines to see what treats boils, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, these antibiotics did, and I was like, oh, perfect. I'm glad I didn't throw them out, because on three different occasions, I went to throw out these antibiotics. I had them in my hand, and I literally, one time, I was over the bin, and I was literally about to put them in the bin, and Sandra, no, someone might need them. Just chill. Three times. Anyway... Then Talia tells me that she's got MRSA or Golden Staph. And I'm like, oh, well, you're a pain in the bum because Golden Staph's really, really difficult to treat. Anyway, so I looked at the guidelines. She needed a course of 28 of these same tablets. Guess how many tablets I had? 29. 
Can you believe that? That just, it gives me goosebumps. It was just so amazing. Um, Hannah told me in the village that something that stuck with me and something that I'm going to close with before I show you a quick video is that we all just want to be loved and Jesus gives us that love. And that's why I went there and that's why I did what I did. That's why I'm returning with a team of people next year to build the clinic. I'm now part of Transform the Nations, the international company who's going to support me to build the clinic over there. God's real and obvious plan is right here working in me right now and I'm able to show these people a life of love and hope that's possible through my father, our magnificent father. So I hope you like my little slideshow. Awesome. Isn't that great? Just seeing the doors opening up there of opportunity and um, yeah, thanks Sandy and... Uh, I'm sure there's much more you could have spoken on and um, just watch this space as, um, as we just see the doors of opportunity open and maybe there's a, um, an opportunity for us to, to be involved, um, obviously through the missions team, um, but who knows where God's leading us in all this um, as, he leads, as he leads Sandy uh, through that. So that's awesome work, isn't it? Just stepping out in faith. Just uh, following a prompting, following a, a, a God desire and um, just seeing stuff happen um, through all that. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks, Sandy, once again. Um, cool. Well, in, in the, um, the theme of, of missions, and um, I know it's not a mission Sunday, but it just felt right, as, as Sandy was sharing, to also share... Um, a little bit about what's happening in Brazil because as you know we're also seeing doors open uh, in Brazil and many opportunities coming our way in as far as um, ministering in, into Brazil um, and specifically into the, the region of Salvador um, and, and as I, um, we all know J Jamie accompanied me this year there and um, was a smash hit uh, with, the, with the locals um, as he would expect his charismatic nature just wowed them didn't they yes they all love Jamie um, but it's good so just quickly I just wanted to share what's happening um, as you can see there's um, Pastor Livia she leads the church um, in in Salvador uh, Simão Filho is the name of the uh, uh, the, the area uh, it's probably much like um, a suburb of, of Salvador. And so uh, she leads a church. Uh, she took over from her dad who started the church um, five, six years ago. Um, but unfortunately, he's um, now developed uh, dementia and um, is unable to lead the church. And so uh, his daughter, Livia, does that and does a, a wonderful job in that. And then we also have Daniela and Igor. Uh, Igor is our translator. Um, as you will see later on, and they're elders uh, of the church uh, there. So we've been working with them for a couple of years now um, in building relationship and um, just seeing what God is doing and the doors that is opening up there. And as you, as you know, um, we've reported um, a couple of times um, that that connection is actually taking on a more of a formal um, nature in that um, they are actually looking to affiliate um, with the CRC. And, um, and so this would be the first CRC church in Brazil. Uh, and God has given us a privilege of, of leading that and being a part of that. 
And so it, it's awesome. Um, so there's some of the ladies um, uh, in the congregation. Um, they all wanted to crowd around Jamie, but um, I said, share the love around. Um, and then we can also see uh, some of the youth. Uh, this girl here, uh, I know her name. I can't forget her name because her name's Natalia. And um, so that was a pretty easy name to remember. And so that's just some of the people um, in the church. Now, remember before we went to Brazil, we took up an offering. And you sent Jamie and I off with an offering uh, to Brazil. And the purpose was to find something to invest um, that offering into. We didn't just want to give it to the church and say, here, use it. Um, we wanted them to find specific areas of ministry. And it wasn't just for church function, but it was more for outreach. Um, well, they've sent me back some photos of what it actually went, we, uh, went to. Now, when we were there last time, uh, we went to visit these people. Um, this man here, um, about six, seven years ago, I think it was, maybe a little bit less than that, lost a child um, his young child, who was about seven or eight years old, to cancer. Um, and, and through that pain and through dealing with that, felt prompted to start um, an organisation that helps families of children with cancer. Because, you know, it's much like Nepal or, um, you know, many other places around the world, um, you don't get any help. From, from government or, or any other organisation. You basically deal with what you have and deal with it the best you can. But this man here has turned his home into a, a, a centre where families of children with cancer can come um, and get emotional support uh, and can get um, things like food and medicine. And so um, the, some of the money that we, we sent across to that, um, the offering that was taken up, uh, went to help uh, this man and his um, his volunteers uh, they run a uh, the church has started running a kids club in there once uh, a month uh, and they didn't really have much to to um, use and so some of the money went to buying uh, tables and chairs for the kids to sit around um, which is awesome because what they had was pretty um, pretty basic beforehand but also went to buying some supplies like just basic foodstuffs um, that helps uh, feed families. And so families can go there. You know, these families spend their money on treatment for their kids um, and then, uh, you know, often get left short in things like food. And so that was helped um, stock their cupboard uh, for a short while. Um, another uh, organisation that they've uh, helped in is called the Coexistent Renewal Centre. Now this here is a men's mental health facility and uh, basically taking males um, who have uh, varying degrees of mental uh, uh, disability, uh, mental health issues. Uh, and again, uh, the, the, the social welfare system is, is non-existent there uh, to a large degree. And so families who can't cope uh, with, um, you know, fathers, brothers, uh, sons, just basically drop them off at the centre and say, we can't look after them, you need to look after them. And so uh, this lady uh, here, uh, I think, oh, what am I pointing there for? Here. Okay. Um, she runs it. 
Um, she's a member of the church. And uh, how many men were there, Jamie? Probably about 40, 40-odd men. Uh, and I think we showed you pictures beforehand. But this is just, to, again, just to let you know uh, where the money that you um, gave in offering um, is going to. And in large part, you can... Oh, no, nah, go back. Wrong button. In large part, it bought a lot of these. Who can guess what they are? Adult diapers. Okay. Adult diapers, because basically these men don't have good control of their bodily function. Um, and it was a very great need of the centre because a lot of people um, just don't consider that that is a necessity. And so, you know, to give these men some sort of quality of life, um, that's what a lot of your money went to, okay? It doesn't sound super spiritual or anything like that, but it is a great practical need. And so um, they put together this little video. Pastor Rodney, really thanks for everything. And God bless you all. And God bless you in everything in your life. And all the church, thanks for you. Amen. Nós estamos felizes e como igreja, nós queremos dizer muito obrigado pelas orações. We are so glad about the celebration, about your, your message. And, and everybody else, the church, thanks for you. brothers and sisters over in uh, in Salvador and uh, I'm sure some of you will end up meeting them and um, and even as some of them may have opportunity to come here to Australia I'm sure you'll meet some of them so that's awesome isn't it so I just wanted to to share that with you um, just so that you know you know often we we give offering and we're not sure what what that goes to and I know we do it in faith, and that's great, but it's good just to hear how that money was spent and utilised, and so um, we're really happy about that. Awesome, isn't it? 